Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. In part two of four of the Nerdy V10s series, our panel discuss the greatest race of all time. Hello, my name is Ron Mylander, and you're listening to the Formula Words Podcast. Hi, I'm Rosanna Tennant, and you are listening to the incredible Cut to the Race Podcast. Hi, I'm Jordan King, and you're listening to the Formula Nerds Podcast. Hi, I'm Profi. You're listening to the Cut to the Race Podcast. It's lights out, and away we go! Welcome to another episode of Nerdy V10s, where we talk anything and everything to do with the classic eras of Formula One. We're doing things a little bit differently today. We're going to be having a, a very healthy debate, and I'm sure we'll uh, we'll get uh, quite emotional about our choices as we discuss our own individual classic races. So to help me decide, uh, or to help me make the case for what, a good, for what the classic races are, I'm joined by Sam. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. How's it going? Uh, not too bad. Good to see you again, sir, as always. And James, who I was speaking to not even five hours ago as we spoke to another guest. How are you, sir? I'm good, yeah, and uh, I look forward to having a, a good old debate with you two about this. That was a weird sentence. <laughs> <laughs> about about what's the best race of the V10 era. Definitely. Well, what I've done is um, I asked I asked uh, Sam and James to go away and think about what they thought their best classic race was. And simply put, we've all come out with a different choice, which is brilliant, because it means we can now go through in chron- chronological order. So what we're going to do is I'm going to give everybody 30 seconds to say what their race is and also why it should be the best on the list. So we're going to go in chronological order. So that means we're going to come to Sam first. So Sam, please reveal what you believe is your or or, or what is the all time classic F1 race in your view. Okay, so I've chosen my race because uh, first of all, there's a Verstappen retirement in the first corner. There's also, James, this is aimed at you, Mackenzie, a Fissy Keller retirement on the first lap. There's absolute chaos. There were three finishers. Weather, unpredictable winner, collisions, everything that you could possibly ask for in a race. So I've chosen the 1996 Monaco Grand Prix. Very good choice, sir. I agree. That's a really good one. Uh, The next person is myself. Uh, So my race I've chosen is because it had... had the hallmarks of being an absolute classic. It was supposed to be a title decider of a couple of races before the end, but it turned into an absolute race of attrition. We had multiple chains of leader because they all crashed out. We had the championship contenders stuck at the back of the grid because of t- disastrous pit stops that make Ferrari's pit stop this year look like a cakewalk. Uh, and we also had very strange leaders and a new winner, a bit like uh, the Monaco Grand Prix. So my ch- my chosen race of choice is the 1999 European Grand Prix at the Nürburgring. Which means the last one is James McKenzie. But Over also that means that if we go in chronologically, the really obvious one, no yeah. one's gone for. Exactly. Yeah. Unbelievable. This, this is why I'm thinking, which is why I want to have a really good discussion about that one, because I'm curious as to why we all missed it. But James, what is your race? 
My race comes four years after yours, and it is the 2003 Brazilian Grand Prix. Uh, and yes, as Sam has already hinted, I am a little biased. As uh, growing up, I was a Giancarlo Fisichella fan, but it still it had a bit of everything. Uh, a lot of what you guys have covered, I won't use all the same words again, but you know, chaos, lots of bizarre occurrences, uh, even a bit of comedy at the end. Well, I, I think these are, these are all spectacular choices. So let's discuss, let's just go through each race in turn and just talk about how awesome they were or why why we've chosen them. I have to say, the reason why I didn't choose Monaco was simply put, I thought it had it, it had craziness, but it was lacking that, and this is probably going to send Sam into raptures. Um, for me, it lacked the authenticity of drama because it was literally just keep it on the track um i mean if that race was held today to me it would be impossible to to hold it as we saw this year if a slightest yep. bit of rain drops now the stewards just say oh you haven't raced on rain at the moment or well, we better start behind the safety car and delay for 45 minutes and not tell anybody mm. what we're doing um so yeah sam go on tell us why you've chosen what just take us through the race from your perspective about why you think it's the best of all and try not to kill me too much for what I just said oh no no I mean it's fine and in, in, in fact you're right the conditions were so bad that and so as the pretext here there hadn't been wet weather all weekend uh, in Monaco that 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 season and between the Sunday morning warm up and the race it chucked it down absolutely torrential rain so they actually put in a second warm up to allow drivers to acclimatise to the new conditions. You did see some people chanting stuff, so you got uh, Jack Villeneuve uh, gambled on a wet setup on Saturday for qualifying, qualified P18, which obviously, in a front-running Williams, not not ideal, but you know, he uh, obviously the weather forecast was uh, heading one way only. Um, so you also had, um, in, the, in the opening stages, um, the 40 of Andrea Montemini, in fact, crashed in that second warm-up session, so he didn't actually take the start. You had the footwork, um, or arrows cars, uh, as they're probably better known. Um, they didn't participate in that session at all because they had so few parts uh, at that stage of the season. So, yeah, chaos at the start. Going into the first corner, you get Damon Hill overtaking Michael Schumacher for the lead. So you got a, a lead change in the first corner. Great. As I mentioned, Jos Verstappen goes straight on and uh, out of the race at the first corner. He's the first retirement. Then you have the two Minardis, Fisichella and Pedro Lamy, who clash and uh, take each other out at the first lap. In fact, by the end of that totally first Lamy's lap... Totally Lamy's fault. I'm not, here, I'm not here to apportion blame. I can't um, even remember. <laughs> weren't both um, 40... Weren't both... Um, you, you say that uh, both footworks as well, they were running though on parts. Didn't they take each other off at the first corner as well which kind of makes negates the whole reason they missed the walk in the first place that's mad if it was no I think that the other footwork um, who was Ricardo Rosset um, he managed to get as far as lap 3 but by the end of lap 1 6 of the 22 cars so 5 more retirements on top of Montemini had retired and one of those was Michael Schumacher the Rainmaster on that one bins it from P2. So you've got chaos from, from the get-go. Uh, and then, yeah, as, as the race progresses, uh, you have, uh, f basically, you've got Irvine in P4, and he is a proper Alonso-style bottleneck. So you've got Hill out front, 
and then you've got the two Benettons of Lacey and Gerhard Berger who are running away with things and Irvine backing everybody up and Hunter of Frenson in a Sauber uh, basically goes for a move takes his wing off uh, so that's you know an early kind of sign of things to come for Irvine's race um, and then yeah eventually yeah Coulthard managed to get through on Irvine um, Hill comes in on lap 27 to put on slick tyres um, and that's the kind of crossover point and uh, a Lacey hasn't pit yet um, so it's a case then of Hill tracking down Lacey and he manages to pass him a few laps later which shows back in the day smaller racier cars you could pass at Monaco anyway um, Franson is then lapping 10 seconds a lap faster on, on the on the dry tyres so it's you know, changeable conditions what we all love you know, proper Jensen Button kind of uh, conditions for you um, and then lap 36 Irvine has annoyed people enough Panis puts him into the into the wall at the, the hairpin so that sets off Irvine ending up a couple of laps down to me to me that's where that Ferrari belonged that year anyway it was a diabolical car I don't know how Michael managed to get three wins out of that thing I mean the, well, it's the fact that Michael Schumacher is Michael Schumacher and Eddie Irvine's Eddie Irvine love Eddie Irvine but he's not in the he's not the same calibre driver is he um, anyway so Hill then retires from the lead on lap 40 uh, that was the first Williams retirement of the year obviously uh, obviously Hill's championship winning year as well then the de facto leader is Lacey Gerhard Berger has since retired from gearbox issues Lacey takes the lead he retires on lap 60 so as we know Monaco is a 78 lap race so getting towards the end got a feel for him he's moved over from Ferrari at the end of 95 looking to kind of build with Benetton uh, in a new project he never actually ends up winning a race for Benetton um, lap 65 and this is controversial Luca Badur in the other 40 takes out Jack Villeneuve as he's being lapped Luca Badur is about 5 or 6 laps down takes out Villeneuve uh, so that was you know a controversial coming together who doesn't love a back marker taking out a uh, a title contender and then lap 71 Irvine has another incident he spins around at the I think it's the lower Mirabeau and he manages to collect Mika, Sa- Mika Salo and Mika Hakkinen who were running ahead of him on the road but behind him on that lap if that makes sense because Irvine was a couple of laps down and they are some of the final retirements Heintel Frenson then gets to lap 74. So that's around lap 70 that that happens, uh, the Irvine incident. Lap 74, Frenson retires. He was running P4, and you are left with Panis, Coulthard, and Herbert in the other Sauber. Because of the rain and all the chaos, it reached the two-hour mark, and only 75 laps of run. Olivier Panis wins the ninth and final race for Ligier, his first race win and the first Ligio win in 15 seasons. It is a pretty spectacular race. There's no getting away from it. And I've, I was going to give a quiz on that race and you've taken two of my three questions, but there is one that you've not, which is that you said you say Schumacher retired at the end of the race, retired on that, the end of lap one. Well, he got, yes. got to he got to Mirabeau, didn't he? Go just yeah, low tunnel and, he, and he binned it. Yeah. He actually featured in the race, the entire race, right under the checkered flag. It's a bit of a riddle. How did he do it? Uh, because David Coulthard was wearing his helmet because David Coulthard at that stage didn't have a uh, a waterproof a, a visor that would be able to get rid of the water 
Schumacher had a heated up visor, which uh, would evaporate the water. So he borrowed one of Schumacher's helmets. And to that question, can either of you imagine Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen doing that for each other now? Yeah. It's uh, it's a great pub quiz fact, that. Uh, I love the fact, yeah, you know, at that point they were seemingly on pretty good terms. And then, well, I mean, ironically, it would all go wrong at the race that we never chose. That that none of us chose. But also, in the world of sponsorship today, would would Red Bull, Mercedes, but luckily, both of them had um, Marlboro sponsorship on their helmets. So I guess it wasn't such a... uh, yeah, I guess the, the big player there was probably like, yeah, that's okay. And no one else really cared enough. Abba or whoever it was, it was probably on the back of his helmet or just like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> <Abba>. worry about <laughs> it. But yeah, but yeah. So another thing I've, I've kind of mentioned, but not explicitly, you had three points finishers or point scorers who didn't finish the race. When was the last time that happened? Half the points finishers didn't Sorry, half the point scorers, because there is definitely a distinction there, didn't finish. I would not think there's a good chance that's yeah ever that's happened before one. or since. I think yeah, that's the only. I think that's the only time. I can't think of one. So. It, it could not be since. you know something in the fifties or something maybe, um, but yeah, certainly in modern Formula One, that's that's got to be a one-off. Definitely has to be. Well, that's that's Sam's choice, and it's a quite a good one. I think, but I think mine is better, as is my right. Uh, so mine oh, is. <laughs> Mine's Nürburgring 1999. So the reason why I've chosen this one is because it was a couple of rounds before the end and Mika Hacken and Eddie Irvine, it wasn't Schumacher that year because Schumacher broke his legs at Silverstone and was still away. Uh, although I think at this time he was running around his garden with his children when Luca de Montezemolo called and uh, I think it was Mick who actually dropped him in it as a child um, and said, Daddy's out in the front playing in the garden and I think Luca wasn't particularly happy. But at this moment, uh, Mika and Eddie Irvine are tied on 60 points. Um, Heinz Howard Frenson on pole position at the race as an outside contender having won the the previous round at Monzo. Uh, so he was very much in the running. Hakkinen was P3 and Eddie Irvine was start was starting down in P9 after a really tricky wet qualifying session. The first start was aborted. No one I think it was a I think it was a prost that broke down. No one seemed to actually knew what actually what actually happened on that first restart, on that first start. Frenson then led into turn one uh, after Mick had got a better start, but he still he led, he led into the first corner. Then we have, I've got highlighted here, big crash in capital letters uh, because Diniz, Pedro Diniz's Sauber flipped upside down and he walked away unharmed, but it was pretty scary. After the safety car uh, went in, Irvine started to make his way through the field and was up to fifth as the rain started to pour. And Ralph Schumacher, the Williams that year, was not a very good car. It also looked like a gigantic advertising billboard. And if you remember the really vivid red livery those cars had back in the, in the late 90s, I, it was weird. I, did, so I didn't like the 98 livery. I quite liked the 99 one, though. It, it, it just looked strange in my view, but I, can, I, it, I, will, I will agree with you on that one. It definitely looked a bit, uh, it looked a bit better than the 98 livery. It, it, the 98 was like it was trying to be a Ferrari and failing, I think. It's probably the best way to describe that. But uh, you, you had Ralph Schumacher challenging for P3 on lap 19. Really wanted to get past. It was it was brilliant to watch seeing, you know, uh, uh, Michael's brother in a lesser car challenging the top two. However, at this point, um, the nightmare pit stop for Ferrari, and I'm sure we all remember this. It makes what happens this year with Ferrari looks look very easy. Um, Irvine pulls into the pits. 
There's no rear uh, tire waiting for him. And he's stationary for over 30 seconds before he's finally sent on his way. And you can hear in Martin Rundle's voice saying, what are you doing? Fit it to the car. Um, and it's the one of the very few times I've ever seen Ross Braun's face be that angry. And it's it, it's it's an image. If you watch it, you, you, you would not want to be a Ferrari mechanic going into the debrief that evening because it looked absolutely petrifying. Um, Coulthard and Frenson stopped together a couple of laps later and Eddie Jordan was delighted because he kept the lead and he gave the thumbs up to his team. But as he rejoined, Frenson slowed to a halt. And that was the end of and that was the end that was the end of his world championship charge. It was gone because surely David Coulthard was going to take the victory. Um but he didn't. Coulthard aquaplaned off after uh, because uh, Mika Hacken had come into the pits beforehand and had really messed up his strategy and was on the wrong tires. DC's now leading. He crashes out. And then, I'm sorry to say this, uh, Mr. McKenzie, Giancarlo Fisichella moves into first place, but then he crashes out after taking the lead. Uh, Ralph Schumacher then moves into first place, and he's been in the top four the entire time. He's doing really well, but then he gets a puncture, and he's he's forced out of the race, which leaves Johnny Herbert in the lead, who qualified P14, and he's let, and he's led the race entirely. So what's, where, where are the championship contenders, you ask, after their truly nightmare race? Mika Hakkinen and, and Eddie Irvine, they're battling for P7. But this is elevated to P6 when Luca Badoa's Minardi starts smoking. And I don't know if you've ever, I'm sure you guys have seen this footage of this, but uh, Badoa is crying over his Minardi because he was so close to getting points. And Minardi was, were a backmarker team that never scored points. But they were always the lovable, the lovable backmarker, the underdog you always rooted for. And it was so close. Um, Villeneuve, uh, Jacques Villeneuve's BAR retired. That was the BAR that had that really weird dual livery thing. It was, uh, they had a zipper down the front of it because the team tried to... five and Lucky Strike. Exactly. They yeah. tried to launch the. They tried to launch that year with, uh, with <laughs> two a, liveries and they got... And, and the FI went, no. <laughs> and Leeds United and, uh, as well, wasn't it? Leeds United were on the front of the BAR. I think that, not on the front, it was on the, on the engine cover. I'm pretty sure they had a Leeds United emblem. Right, when, I've done, when, when, I've, when I finish my race section, I hand over to James. I'm actually going to Google this because I really want to find, I want to find this out. S- similar to how the Sauber had the Chelsea badge on it for a, for a year. That's insane. Leeds United, a sponsor of BAR. Wow. But also, um, I mean, Luca Badur famously never scored a point in his F1 career. Oh, that, make, that, that makes that yeah. result that's why he was so. Him. That's why he was so upset. Yeah. And I feel like he so also sad. could have scored points in Monza the race before. I think he had a. Yeah. I, th- I think he had a really bad run of luck. It, I, mean, it was, I mean, he was. I mean, but if you remember what happened to him in 2009, which isn't for this podcast, um, when he came back to replace uh, Felipe Massa after his accident at, at the at the Hungaroring, he didn't have the best time there either. Yeah, a lot I'm of that was sure, his, his own doing. But I'm not sure in that in that tale, Luca Bedos, who we should feel sorry for there. I feel like Felipe Massa probably. Yeah. Oh no, completely. Was the majority, the lion's share <laughs> yeah, yeah. of the sympathy. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, because it was a potential life-changing injury. To be fair to to Bedoa, that 2009 Ferrari was, by all accounts, like almost impossible to drive. I mean, he was he was the test driver, so yeah, he would have been a bit more experienced. But obviously, Fizzy Keller went there my mate uh, and finished his <laughs> career for the last few races you know achieved his dream by driving for Ferrari and he went from almost beating Kimi in that Ferrari at the Belgium Grand Prix that year in a Force India to yeah not doing much better than Bedoa and struggling to to get into the top 10 I think yeah credit to Bedoa you know it's it, I think F1 remembers him too harshly from that 2009 little cameo 
I, I I'll agree with that actually. And I will make it my mission, James, to get Giancarlo Fisichella on this show. I don't know how we'll do it, but we will do it. Um, It'll be a dream. <laughs> I'll make sure I you're on panel for it. I can't find this Leeds United thing. I, I must yeah. have been chatting out. I looked, I looked as well. And, well, I've just got lots of results for Leeds United bars. I don't know if it's yeah. the same for you. Bars? <laughs> well, B-A-R. Oh, <laughs> God, of course. But, yeah. Uh, well, well, yeah, well, yeah, well let's, let's see what we can do. But yeah, we'll have to, if we'll make, we'll, maybe if one of our listeners can confirm this, we'll find some footage for us of that, of Leeds United on that car. I think I feel that's, that's important. Um, but, but, but back to the finishing of the race. Uh, the both cars got past. Obviously, the uh, the the Minardi of uh, Padoni retired. They also got past Mark Chenet. Uh, however, ha- uh, uh, the Irvine was not able to get into the points. So Mika finished P five, Irvine P seven, which meant that uh, Mika took a two point advantage into the final round, which then he won- which uh, he was unable to extend, and he won the world championship that year. Jano Trulli uh, took the best res- to pros ever result of P two and Peugeot's joint best ever result. Um, anyone who's read our, uh, our worst engine suppliers or lost engine suppliers, should I, should I say, features knows that uh, Peugeot tried very hard to get a win in the early in the early 19, sort of the mid-1990s, but failed miserably. Uh, this was their best ever result, which meant that you had Johnny Herbert taking his win, and I'll ask the question in a minute when his last one was, uh, along with Rubens Barrichello on P3, which meant that you had Paul Stewart, Jackie Stewart in absolute raptures, Stewart Grand Prix, very popular team, um, to me, that is, it had everything. It had the drama, it had the craziness, it had the skill you needed to keep it on the road, a surprise winner, uh, and just complete raw emotion. And, and that for me is why it's, 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 it will always be the all time classic in, in my view. It's fair. I mean, none of these are going to be bad races, are they? We're not going to go, no, it's, it was rubbish, <laughs> boring. <laughs> Actually, I love a, I love a strategy race. I like, like you know a really defensive Grand Prix, <laughs> it's a real slow burner. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, no we've had too many of those in recent years. You know, you know it's it's a very good selection. Um, I'll give you that. Also, Olivier Panis in in my race also qualified P fourteen. Fun fun coincidence there. Where did uh where did Giancarlo Fis? Oh, sorry, I don't want to give too much away. Where did the <laughs> where did the winner qualify in your race, James? Well, you have to wait and see. Okay. It's funny, Um, actually, I had a a running joke with my dad that P14 was where the best person always qualified because his his favourite driver was Johnny Herbert uh, and he was always seemingly 14th. And then it became Fisichella, who was constantly 14th, and then Jensen Button, who replaced Johnny Herbert as my dad's favourite driver. And did Jensen Button qualify, was it P14 or P12 that he qualified for the 2006 Hungarian Grand Prix? I feel like it was around there. I've got a couple of questions about my race to see if you uh, if you if you if you remember that one. So we've talked about Johnny Herbert being the being the victory. What was Johnny Herbert's previous win before he won the Nurburgring in 1999? What was his last race win? It would have been in 95. Italy, right? Correct. He he won in Britain and then Italy. Both of time, both the times in which Schumacher and Hill took each other off for various different reasons. I think. I think. I mean, I mean, if we get Damon on the show, he'll probably debate this quite heavily. But I think it's both times Damon took out Schumacher for whatever reason, hunting him or door yeah, I think or whatever. Italy was more egregious than I think Silverstone. You could maybe have argued a bit. I can't really remember, but yeah, well, I, can't, I can't seem to picture the the Italy incident. All I can think of is is it was the, 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 it was the second chicane, I think. 
I can't actually perfectly visualize it, but I oh, remember. Oh no, that no, I can, I can. Yeah, it, like, uh, it looks like uh, I think from memory he outbreaked himself. But also, quickly, Jensen Button did start that race P14 in 2006, the Hungarian Grand Prix. He qualified P4. I assume he got a 10 place grip penalty for whatever reason. Uh, and yeah, started P14. Have they been? In, have grip penalties been in that long now? Since 2006. They weren't as complicated then. Well, you know what's funny? Yeah. Lewis, Lewis won from 14th in Germany as well, didn't he? In 2018. I he think. did. He God, did. this is this really? is really like bottom of the barrel chat, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, and also, we'd be remiss to not to, to, to not mention the 2022 Spa or Belgian Grand Prix, where oh, a certain yeah. Max Verstappen won from P14 as well. It's clearly the place to be. And in answer to your earlier question, I just checked. I knew it wasn't P14, but if you remember in qualifying in the around 2003 season, there was Q1 and Q2. Oh, God, yeah. And Q1, Giancarlo Fisichella, 14th. Maybe we've maybe we've figured something out here. Was that the year where... No, it wasn't the... The, the one shot was, what, 2005? Was 2003 yeah. the one where they had... You had two sessions and oh, aggregate, yeah, aggregate, and aggregate timing. Yeah, that was that was that was. It, it no. lasted for six or seven races or something, and then they got rid of it because they realised it was crap. Yeah, um, so at least at this point, it wasn't aggregate, or maybe that was because it was wet. I, I'm going to be honest; I haven't looked up the the rules that clearly. <laughs> but if if so, then it would have worked out very differently. The final grid. They played around with qualifying for a, a few years in a row because the year before that was the last year of the whole twelve laps over an hour. Mm. Very quickly, Irvine's pit stop. Yes, Ooh. changed the course of the championship. It did because um, Hackenden got what two points out race. He did, and he was level on. As I said at the start, they were level on points, and he took a two two point advantage going into the final couple of rounds, which he and won. He won. He, he won the championship by two points that year. He did. So had had that not happened, Irvine would have won the championship. There is some debate as well, though, with, and this this will never be proven. This is, and I want to make this very clear: not, no, no litigation. It's purely just me giving hearsay. Um, but there are uh, some rumours around that Ferrari didn't want the world championship to be won with Eddie Irvine. They wanted to win it with Michael mm. to get the first win, to get yeah. the first championship since 1979. They wanted it to be with Michael, their big signing, who they'd lured away from Benetton, who they built the team up with over those with those three or four seasons. So, is. You can you could argue would Ferrari have allowed that anyway, but that's enough. That's, that's, that's a conspiracy, conspiracy would, theory, is it? Would Eddie Irvine have been the only world champion to only win races in his championship year? I'm trying to think that through in my head right now, and I'm not. So he won four races that year, and they were the only four races he won in his career. I see what you mean. Mm. Quite possibly. I'm sure we'll get told if 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 if, if, if we're talking rubbish, but I'm I'm pretty confident you're right. Because I'm thinking of others like Phil Hill or, you know, people who won very few races. So I wasn't um, born then, James. Neither was I. <laughs> like I was. 1961. <laughs> I'm not 61. <laughs> I'm like three years older than you. <laughs> Look, I'm the youngest here for once, so I'm you know, making the most of it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Still got PTSD from Abbey stabbing you in the heart yesterday. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> Let's uh, let's flash forward to 2003 and Interlagos because it's Interlagos. It's it's the best track everyone knows. It's the best venue. They're always the best races. 
yes, okay, I'm biased. Uh, I can't tell you why exactly. Uh, I was a fizzy color fan growing up. I think as a kid, I liked the yellow Jordans, simple as it is when you're six or seven. Uh, and then I felt sorry for him, I think when he crashed with Ralph Schumacher uh, and missed out on a, a podium in that first season of them being teammates in 97 plus he had a cool name Giancarlo Fisichella it's very Italian um, but yeah anyway back to the race uh, let me set the scene a bit uh, a few nice details it was the 700th Grand Prix uh, and fittingly Jordan's 200th part of the resulting chaos was due to a bizarre FIA regulation nothing changes huh? Uh, which mandated that the two tyre suppliers Bridgestone and Michelin at that point were to bring a single wet weather tyre compound to each race to lower operating costs Michelin brought the full wet and Bridgestone brought the intermediates, which is basically a health and safety nightmare. <laughs> Looking back on it, like you have to send your drivers out on intermediates when it's not that condition. Uh, also, uh, then five-time and defending world champion Michael Schumacher had been getting criticism from the German and Italian press for a subpart beginning to the season, as hard as that might be to believe. But into the racing, or rather into qualifying. Uh, and yeah, uh, as I mentioned, two hour long sessions, Mark Webber took provisional pole in the Jaguar in a wet Q1. Uh, and then despite Q2 being dry, held on for an eventual third behind local hero Rubens Barrichello and David Coulthard, which was the first time a Brazilian had taken pole on home soil since Ayrton Senna in 1994. So it started in torrential conditions under the safety car. Uh, a few drivers, including Fissy Keller, gambled pitting to fuel for the rest of the race. Again, it's you know totally different to today to think about the, the strategy calls being based around fuel rather than tyres. But it got underway after eight laps. Uh, and this is what I love about this race, because as well as utter chaos, and this is what it put it, it kind of put it aside from the other potential ones for me, there was actually some really genuinely great racing. So straight off the bat, Coulthard got past Barrichello into the first corners to take the lead. Uh, and there was loads of action further back, thanks to a, a somewhat mixed up grid from yeah, uh, the mixed up Q1 and Q2 that I mentioned. Uh, Barrichello fell further and further back. Schumacher made a charge from 7th to 3rd and the two McLarens then battled for the lead with Raikkonen coming out on top. Ironically, it was actually uh, as the track dried that things started to get more treacherous because the long turn 3 of Curves of Soul remained wet. Justin Wilson was the first to lose it there, but he certainly wouldn't be the last. Uh, there was a huge crash as the second Jordan of Ralph Furman's suspension failed and he flew into Olivier Panis, narrowly missing teammate Fissy Keller. That brought out the safety car again. Plenty of drivers taking the opportunity to pit Fernando Alonso twice after his team fitted the wrong tyres. So uh, fitting in with your uh, criteria of uh, having a dodgy pit stop at some point, James. Pretty much straight after things got back underway, Montoya also aquaplaned off at Cove de Sol, immediately followed by Antonio Pizzonia and a lap later Schumacher, which was his first retirement in almost two years. After another safety car, Verstappen, that's Jos, of course, not five-year-old Max, uh, and Jensen Button joined them in the world's most expensive car park behind the Cove de Sol barriers, now containing six cars, brought out a fourth safety car. Weber nearly made it seven, but saved it after a pretty spectacular 360. And then after pitting under one of the safety cards, Raikkonen was fighting back towards the front, where Coulthard made a mistake and allowed Barrichello to retake the lead. But then his Brazil curse struck again as he retired for the ninth consecutive year. Uh, telemetry issue, I think that was, uh, meaning he wasn't aware he'd he, oh, he wasn't aware he'd run out of fuel. How much bad luck can you have in one it's, one it's race? Crazy. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, bad. I mean, and Barrichello, yeah. It's, it would have been such a, a feel-good home victory that and it just wasn't meant to be. He'd come close before, but never this close. 
But yeah, into the crucial what would prove to be final laps. Uh, Coulthard pitted for new tyres after nearly losing it, leaving Raikkonen in the lead ahead of Fissy Keller. But Kimi ran wide at the penultimate corner, allowing Fissy to take the lead. Just after, Weber had a huge crash, basically on the start-finish straight, hitting the barriers on both sides. And Alonso didn't notice the wave yellows because apparently he was deep in discussion with his engineer about which tyres to use. And he slammed into the debris, also hitting both barriers, one with a 35G impact and the next 60G. Thankfully, both were fine, aside from a few from a few bruises. But the incident brought out a red flag and ended a race that only had eight cars still running anyway. Uh, in the pit lane, Fissy Keller's car promptly caught fire, foreshadowing the mayhem that was about to ensue. Uh, Fissy Keller and Jordan initially thought they'd won, but it was Raikkonen who was given the victory initially, told while he was on the weighing scales. Uh, and I'd love to have seen his very Kimmy reaction to that, by the way. Uh, the sporting regulations stated that the race was deemed to have finished when the leading car crossed the line at the end of the lap two laps prior to that lap during which the signal to stop was given. Clear as ever, as a FIA regulation. So then the official timekeeping screens first showed that Fissy Keller had begun his 56th lap and then that briefly disappeared and it displayed it, as, it being his 55th. Race stewards based their decision on the belief Fissy Keller was still on his 55th lap. It was actually Charlie Whiting who would correct the error. He launched an internal investigation as he was unhappy with the timesheets provided and concerned about a possible timekeeping error. God bless Charlie. We still miss him. Hero as ever. Yeah. Uh, oral argument and timing evidence were presented to the FIA court in Paris and Fissy Keller was finally awarded the victory. It was his first F1 win coming at, at the 110th attempt, which at the time was the second longest wait for a first victory. It was also the last win for a Ford engine and for Jordan with a 17-year wait before the team's successors at that point Racing Point would win with Sergio Perez in Sakir. So the Grand Prix eventually finished with a beautifully awkward unofficial ceremony at Imola where Kimi and Ron Dennis handed over the winning trophies to Fissy Keller and Eddie Jordan. I, I just, I'm laughing at the uh, that photo. I, I could see it clear as day. Yeah. The, the yeah. trophies being handed over. Um, a very, very good selection. I just think it had everything. You know, it had some great racing, it had Brazilian weather and of course like the Braz- the Brazilian the brilliant atmosphere <laughs> in Brazil. Uh total chaos, FIA and stewarding confusion, highs and lows, the eventual winner's car on fire and loads more iconic moments like all the cars piling into that same barrier at turn three. I don't think you should find Brazilian. I like that. I think that should be a term. Yeah. Keep it. Fragrantly. <laughs> <laughs> But the uh, for me the person who I feel sorry for in, in the whole incident is none of the, is none is not it's not uh, Kimi or or Giancarlo for you know for what happened etc. My my sympathy is actually with DC. I was gonna say he had the lead yeah. and he took he pits he took, he had he his pit stop on lap fifty two. Yeah. So had he just stayed out a bit longer and he was he 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 had a commanding lead and I often wonder what would have happened to his season that year had he won that had he won that race because he, he he won in Australia from yeah. 11th, not quite, not people, people 14, but P11. He was in the lead at Malaysia and then he had a electrical failure. I think it was on lap three. And then he nearly won the, uh, the Grand Prix in, uh, in Brazil. But obviously the time, the time going into the pit stop, et cetera, that cost him it. I wonder how his season would have turned out. Well, if that hadn't happened. He never won a race again. He never. That Easy. would have been his last win. Uh, yeah, Australia is his last win. 13 uh, Grand Prix, 13 uh, unlucky it, for Samba, not for DC. It could I have been a lot. It's kind of unlucky. <laughs> a lot of okay. what here, guys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I was going to say, it could have Kimi transformed his, <laughs> his season, the, but. 
Yeah, bear in mind, Kim Raikkonen took it to the last race of the year. Um, and two points that, yeah. that he lost out on would have put him equal with Michael Schumacher at the top of the standings, but he would have lost out on a, on countback because, yeah, that would have been just two wins. Again, he amazingly never won after the second race of the year, just got six second places, just looking at it now, uh, whilst, yeah, Michael won six. It was it was the only season, obviously 2000 was, you know, closer, but after he'd won that first title with Ferrari, it was the only season out of those four subsequent titles where he looked like he might not do it. Yeah. Well, the, the regulations were brought in for the tyres and everything to try and slow him down. That was the whole point of the regulations, to try and yeah. s- stop Ferrari. Works in 2005, but... Yeah, it was a great race. I mean, your heart has to go out to Rubens Barrichello. Nine oh. retirements in a row, your home home race is, is mental. Yeah. Um, but I mean, Brazil was throwing up some great. Races. The 2001 Brazilian Grand Prix was was brilliant. Mm. Um, oh, yeah, that, that, well, that's the one where Montoya barged past Michael on the uh, yeah. in, going into the center S, and then is, didn't it, didn't Verstappen. Yes, L- launches yeah. the back of him going into turn four. Yeah. He lapped him, and I think he, I think he braked, and I think he, he, he hit the brakes heavily in the braking zone, really, really, just cutting across him, and then hit the brakes, which Verstappen didn't have any time to react to over his rear wing, and that was the end of it. So uh, Verstappen getting an incident in a in a lapping, uh, yeah, in Brazil, in Brazil. Yeah. Well, why does that sound familiar? Well, um, he, he, it wasn't his first either in Brazil. He had a horrible he had a horrible accident in '94. Although that was Eddie Irvine's fault, but he was launched over Martin Brundle's McLaren. Yeah, yeah, hitting him on Irvine the head. Irvine got a race ban for, didn't he? Yeah, two or three race ban, which was crazy. Yeah. But no, Verstappen has a bit of a the Verstappens have a history in Brazil. I don't think I think we're starting to notice that. I mean, Brazil um, same corner as well. Is, uh, yeah, it is. It's always the same corner. <laughs> Brazil um, throws up great races. It does. So. It's just it's just it's just designed to. The track is, it's a classic, but I, um, I do have some other, I do, I've got some quiz questions for you as well on Brazil, very quickly. All right, all right. Okay. Uh, you have taken one from me already, um, which was which was when Schumacher last retired from. However, um, as we say, it wasn't just Schumacher, it was also Barrichello who retired. Um, it was the first time that neither Ferrari finished a Grand Prix in many, in a couple of years. Can you tell me what race was the last time that neither Ferrari completed four race distance in a race I'm going to say the 2001 San Marino Grand Prix Mackenzie <laughs> I'm not going to be as confident about anything that I say as that so <laughs> I'll go with Sam <laughs> yeah you dumb dumb that's me dumb dumb right <laughs> oh, it was 1999 that's the last time they didn't finish a, a race there you go so never mind <laughs> but that, but that's all. But to tell you what, why don't now? Why don't we now quickly discuss why none of us, which is bizarre, none of us yeah. chose Spa '98, Damon Hill's last win, and the and the introduction, might I add, to our own podcast that we have yeah. is from that race. Why did any of us choose it? Well, cliche. I, mean, I, I was between. Mine was cliche. Yeah, I was between two. Uh, I said this to to James before, and that was the other one. Uh, I'm sure that was uh, the case for for both of you potentially as well but I don't know I mean it has maybe the most iconic moments of the 90s or certainly the only one to have two in one race in yeah the the Michael and DC crash and ensuing near punch up and that uh, like worst crash that Murray's ever seen but I you know having watched it 
the race itself was quite dull for quite a large period. Michael just disappeared into the distance. Yeah, I, I, I agree on that as well. And you had you had you had drivers going into the pits to try and well, you had the you had the first incident where Murray's commentary spoke for itself. But then you had DC had another accident, and he was at right at the back of the grid, so he was never mm. he was never going to bother Michael. And he had to come out to what was it two or three laps down, so he was never going to feature in the afternoon's entertainment. And the rest of it, as you say, was just drivers crashing off. I know there's a, I can remember Irvine losing it. Not not quite as dramatically. The most dramatic I can remember, I think, is Giancarlo Fisichella. Sorry to say, James, but he He's um, come up a lot, hasn't he? He has come up a lot, but he his car was just smashed up, and I don't know how he did it. But in the bus stop, the entire front of the car was missing, and he was sliding towards the pit lane entrance. And then when he got out, his his overalls were torn. Oh yes, yeah. He well, he did very very similar to Michael and DC. That he yeah he slammed into the back of. I can't remember. I did see it when I watched the highlights. But yeah, into a back marker and yeah, exactly the same as Michael took out the, the front, well, quarter of his car and then it caught fire as well. You wouldn't have that race back. live today. That wouldn't, apparently yeah. happens to him all the time. <laughs> it seems to do. It's one, those, it's one of those races that had flashpoints, but yeah, it wasn't. And also like, it was a bit obvious. Like, and obviously I already said that. Yeah is you know cliche and admittedly my race is cliche uh, as well but yeah it I also part of me kind of felt that one of you two might choose it so yeah so we all thought maybe someone else would choose it and didn't choose it I think that's pretty much yeah. what we thought but I am but I'm with both of you on this I think it had flashpoints but it was quite dull as well at various different uh, yeah. points of the Grand Prix yeah. well, with all three of ours it was pretty consistent throughout there was action and yeah like like I said there was like there were so many passes I couldn't believe watching it back the, the O3 the field constantly between the mixed grid and the conditions yeah, it's, 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 it's good it's great and you think about the car I mean I'm a I, and I'm with two others today um I'm, I'm a traditionalist in Formula One, so I'm not a big fan of DRS. I'm much more a fan of you get you get close to the car in front, you overtake them if you can, and you have to fight for it. That's always how I've been, which is why, she, you know, when you watch Verstappen versus Hamilton today, and they're going at it hammer on tongue into corners, there's no DRS involved. It's just hard racing and two drivers who don't want to let each other past. That to me is what racing should be. So, in 2003, that was despite that you had the rain and everything, it was brilliant. And I think Sam's about to tell me I'm wrong no I was going to say that for that reason I almost went with the 2005 Japanese Grand Prix because you had some that was that was Alonso round the outside of 130R yeah and magic Raikkonen you know the famous move on on Fisichella yeah it was (laughs) it was again it was the comeback round he actually uh, did that earlier in the race as well there was a few overtakes Alonso did that to Schumacher on the start finish straight like Mm. there was or someone else because he got past Schumacher at 130 yeah. but but also that race stood out for me because that, it was just so clumsy everyone was just there were so many incidents and you're just like I don't know what it, I don't know if there was some kind of an issue with tyre warm up or whatever it was but people were just kind of sliding into each other it was, it was quite a clumsy race it was and I can, I can recall um, Villeneuve deciding for some reason that he didn't want to let Montoya pass and just punted him off into the barrier at the edge of the start, yeah. start finish straight on like the third, third or fourth lap, yeah. Um, it, it, it was a and yeah, Kimi's last lap overtake. I've never seen Ron Dennis emotional as quite as that before, you know, on the pit wall. 
um, I mean, I, I mean, I, I mean, I'm biased. I love the 2005 McLaren. I think it's the best. I think it's for, for my lifetime. It's the all-time best car ever. Um, it's one of the best cars to never win a championship for sure. Yeah. I can't believe he never won the championship. It was fast, but it was so damn brittle. Well, it kept on breaking down. Also, am I right in thinking that they didn't introduce it to like four or five rounds into the season? No, that was... No, no, that was what Ferrari used to do. So McLaren, they started the season with the MP420. They just didn't start winning until round four or five. They had like... They had a really bad opening start of the year. Uh, they had a couple of retirements. But, and they, they, they could have won at Imola, which was always a bugbear of Ron Dennis because... I think they had a drive shaft failure and it was a component that was well within it. I remember hearing into his interview, he was really cross because it was a component well within his lifespan and it just, they just hadn't tightened it up properly and it cost Kimi a win in 2005. But there was lots of moments like that that cost Kimi the championship that year. That was definitely one of them. Yeah, I mean, there's there's loads of races. Like, none of us have mentioned any of those Malaysian Grand Prix in the early 2000s when cars were going off left, right and centre in monsoon conditions. The 2001 race where Ferrari mm. had both cars off at the same in corner a, in the, in the same corner of Freak Storm one behind mm. the other and they still managed <laughs> to get Ferrari one too. But I think that more speaks to Ross Braun's genius more than anything else as well. But I, 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 th- I think I think we could probably talk all day about classic races but I think we should probably I think we should probably sadly I think wrap it up there. So I think let's can we agree at all on what we think is the best race out of the three? Because I don't think my race is best. I, I would struggle to choose any of the three, to be honest. I think they're all great shouts, and you'd have to watch them back to back for the full, you know, Saturday and Sunday, I think, to, to maybe have a, the most definitive yeah. decision. If I was, was going to go for one that wasn't mine, obviously I chose mine. I mean, James P, yours had championship implications. But James M, I'd say yours was probably the more entertaining race. Um, so I don't know, yeah, it's... I, I don't think I could call it. I'm going to put it... I'm going to put out a pun, and I'm going to say we should let our readers and listeners have a go. Yeah, yeah. Well, unfortunately, I think that's all we've got time for for today. Um, but just before I go, I do have some news, and it's competition time. So for those of you who listened to our Maurice Hamilton interview, uh, I, one, I hope you really enjoyed it. It was great fun to record and hear Maurice's story about the great man that was Murray Walker. Uh, and it's not just it's not just the fact that we talked about him. We talked about uh, Maurice's book, Incredible, which is his, his tribute to Murray and his life from being in the army right through to his time uh, in advertising when he was responsible for some tr- truly amazing advertising campaigns to obviously his second career as a Formula One commentator who we became so loved for, including, might I add, opening our own podcast uh, with some of the snippets from his, from, his, from his past. But we've actually got signed copies of Incredible by Maurice Hamilton. They have been donated to us by Maurice. So thank you very much for that, uh, Maurice. So to be a chance of winning that prize, all you have to do is to email us at info at formulanerds.com and answer this simple question. Who was the second Jordan in the 1-2 at the Belgian Grand Prix. Who was Damon Hill's teammate at the 1998 Belgian Grand Prix? Info at com. So, good luck, and uh, hope you guys enjoy that. Uh, James, Sam, this has been a very enjoyable show. Uh, very, very nerdy, might I add. I'm hoping that's what people are going to enjoy. Um, have you enjoyed well, it's yourselves? It's in the name, isn't it? It is in the name. <laughs> yes, <laughs> have yeah, I have enjoyed myself. Thank you. It's been it's great. Great idea and great execution. Well done. Yeah, absolutely. Uh echo James's sentiments I've had a lot of fun well uh, unless I'm much mistaken 
I am very much mistaken, as I like to say from Murray, that is the end of the show. Uh, until next time, see you soon and goodbye. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out and away we go. Sports Social Podcast Network.